Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Raza Khan, uh, who is the president and co-founder of My Rich Uncle. Welcome to the show, Raza. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Uh, My Rich Uncle is a very unique uh, company. Why don't you tell us briefly, Raza, about uh, the, the founding of My Rich Uncle and, and basically what you do before we get into the, the details here. Uh, My Rich Uncle was founded a couple of years ago, particularly to focus in student lending. Uh, we were doing some research and development in products for students before that. Um, and we've really been trailblazing a path of change in how student lending works. Um, uh, currently, we're providing a full suite of federal loans, the typical Stafford, Parent Plus, Graduate Plus loans, uh, as well as private loans for parents and students who have credit, and also a very innovative product where we fund students who don't have credit. Uh, And these students are typically um, uh, hardworking kids who normally don't have credit history, uh, and we're focusing on funding them. Uh, A lot of what we've done over the last year is focused really on building a more direct model for marketing and advertising student loans. Um, Historically, uh, the industry has really worked through schools, and we've taken our message and brought it directly to parents and students so they know what their universe of options really is. Let's talk a little bit about the overall uh, market for student loans and kind of what's going on in the student debt market. With with tuitions going up all the time, and in many cases people's incomes not going up, um, what kind of student loan debt are people having to take on these days to get through uh, both undergraduate and graduate college? Well, the typical student now is graduating with somewhere in the range of $23,000 of debt at the undergraduate level, and that number can be double when getting out of a graduate or professional school. Uh, So the amount that students are borrowing is phenomenal. Um, it, it, It raises the question as to how much debt is really sustainable in the long run, Uh, and more importantly, a need for students to focus on borrowing more wisely. Uh, In the past, the amounts were not as substantial, Um, so shopping or really knowing how to find the lowest cost deal may not have been as important, but now with $23,000 to pay, uh, that's a lot of money. And and what is the effect of that amount of debt on students uh, when they get out? Are they having to take jobs they'd rather not uh, take because they need to earn more money, or are they this debt is hanging on to them for a longer period of time than it used to, or kind of what is the effect after people get out of college with these debt burdens? Well, there there are a lot of effects that are not just after college. Um, I think there are a lot of effects that student loan debt has on college selection itself. Um, uh, a lot of students are forced to work more while they're in school, or uh, they focus on uh, schools that are more affordable than one they may be able to choose. Um, and so costs has, uh, and in the cost of tuition rising, there are a lot of negative effects overall. But while debt has gone up, getting out of school and earning a lot of money doesn't seem to happen. Um, so, t- so inflation hasn't made it in the wage side of the equation. Mm-hmm. The typical student is still getting out and earning about the same as what a typical student was earning five, six, seven years ago. That means a hefty portion of their monthly income is going to their student loan payments. Um, Over a 10-year period, a lot of students are making substantial compromises. Um, They're delaying further graduate school uh, or other professional school options 
Um, they're delaying lifestyle decisions, uh, when they're going to get married, uh, when they're going to purchase a home, how many children they're going to have. Um, and a key part of that is, well, what will college cost by the time my child uh, has grown up? Uh, will it be three, dollars $400,000 to send my kid to undergraduate school? And those are things that are changing everyone's psychology uh, as debt increases. Is that possible? I mean, you know, we're today at the Ivy Leagues are well over $40,000. I mean, is it possible for a newborn today that it's going to be $100,000 a year or something in 18 years? I mean, is, is there a certain point at which the market just can't handle it anymore? Well, there's a challenge for uh, the education community overall. Um, as these costs increase and there isn't competition among schools or there aren't better tuition pricing models, that are more in line with students' income. Um, and I can go further into that. Um, but a lot of the, the students who are currently paying $100,000 um, for their education, um, there are a number of students who pay $70,000 a year right now for their dental educations. Um, a law school education per year can cost fifty-five dollars to $60,000, which means, on average, about $180,000 uh, by the time the student graduates. So it's not unimaginable to think that uh, it's going to go up quite substantially uh, for this new generation of newborn babies. Yeah, it's pretty staggering for people. So what you're saying is that because the costs have gone up so much and because the debt burden's gone up so much, it's more important than ever for people to really get the right kind of loan and, and minimize fees and expenses uh, and, and interest rates as much as possible. A absolutely. And the key thing that hasn't changed yet is education overall, as the uh, uh, research shows, is still a valuable asset to have uh, when looking for a, a better job. So uh, unfortunately, to remain competitive, it's still worth it to pay the money uh, and go out there and get the law school degree and then join a law firm. Uh, so that won't change for the foreseeable future. No. So now let's talk about the student loan industry. Uh, my sense is that it's been pretty much kind of a closed club and people got student loans, basically they'd go to the student loan office and there were these uh, kind of pre-selected uh, lenders. And Kind of give us a sense of, of how the student loan industry has gotten to, to where it is before you came along. There, there's a fairly long history and, and the student loan industry today has evolved into one where the student isn't really the customer. Um, for the most part, for uh, the vast majority of lenders, the financial aid office and the administrator in the financial aid office is seen as the customer. Uh, and that's because uh, a lot of the loan process originally relied on the financial aid office. Uh, the financial aid office was supposed to verify for lenders that the student was enrolled. Um, over time, however, um, uh, that relationship evolved into really picking the lenders who students were going to borrow from. And lenders competed more and more for financial aid administrator favor than they really did for students. Um, that's resulted in, a, in, a, in what I call the three C's of student lending. Um, uh, there's the corruption component, um, there's the competence component, and there's the competition component. And what we're seeing right now in the, in the media overall is the corruption component, where a lot of the relationships between lenders and financial aid administrators uh, are, are showing to be inherent with conflicts of interest, 
uh, inducements, small candy bars in some cases, uh, to large amounts of, of money paid to the university. And then there's also an, an emerging discussion about competence. Um, the typical financial aid administrator, uh, unlike an accountant or a financial planner, uh, is not required to be certified. There's no degree uh, in financial aid administration. And there really is no fiduciary obligation on the part of the financial aid administrator to ensure that the student gets the best loan. Um, so it's really questionable if, in fact, uh, the administrators can successfully choose the best option for students. And what this has resulted in, going to the last C, is the lack, actually, of competition. Um, for the most part, 3% of lenders control 80% of the federal student loan market. And it's not surprising that uh, over 1,500 universities, uh, uh, three lenders will control the entire list. And in a number of cases, almost 1,000, one lender is the only recommended option. Uh, that lender, of course, is not facing a lot of price competition. Mm. Now, is, is this, I assume you mean Sally Mae in this case, which has been you know, the well, preferred lender in most of these areas. They have a government mandate or a government charter to offer these things. They would say that it's, it's efficient to have one lender instead of having all this competition. Um, well, student lending is an interesting market. Um, in federal loans, which is the typical loan that most parents and students get because it tends to be lower cost than private loans and lower cost than credit cards, 90% uh, of students pay the maximum rate allowable by the federal government. It's only in student lending that that number is so high. In other consumer credit markets, whether it's credit cards, auto loans, or mortgages, it's rare that 90% of borrowers pay the maximum allowable rate. Um, but student lending is operated on, uh, on exactly that basis, uh, and that's because of these relationships that allow one to effectively distribute loans to parents and students who believe that the recommendations that are being made were carefully vetted out, that were free of conflicts of interest, and represent the best options in the marketplace. Um, and for a long time, there's been a myth touted in student lending that the government sets the rate of interest. Um, but the government has never set the rate of interest. It's only set the maximum rate. And as consumers will start to become aware that they have options, hopefully we'll see a more widening of the number of options parents and students consider increasing competition. Now, as I understand it, my rich uncle does charge less than the maximum. Are there other lenders that are currently charging less than the maximum as well? There, there's an interesting uh, anecdote in student lending where uh, a lot of borrowers are led to believe that um, based on the government setting the maximum rate, that some lenders offer interest rate discounts that uh, students can get that maybe will reduce the cost of borrowing by a percentage point or another quarter percentage point. Um, the interest rate cut that we provide on, for example, the Stafford loan, the Stafford loan currently is at 6.8%, and our Stafford loan is 5.8%. Uh, and the math says that we offer 1% less than the government set maximum. Now, other lenders may claim that they're offering a similar discount, but for parents and students, it's important to really read the fine print. Um, many of these offers uh, by competitors will say that 
you can qualify this after you make a certain number of payments on time, or that you may disqualify if maybe your payment arrives one day late. Um, and a lot of students don't actually get the discounts that have been marketed by other lenders. In our case, what makes us truly unique is 100% of the people borrowing from my rich uncle are getting a 1% interest rate discount. Will they lose that discount if they pay late? No. Uh, there's absolutely nothing that they can do other than default on their student loan that will cause them to pay more than the 5.8% rate that we've put out. Uh, and that's materially significant. Um, parents and students may not know, but the federal government has an exemption on the way federal loans are marketed, and it's very different from private loans. Um, private loans, you have to follow particular guidelines that represent the true cost of the loan. With federal loans, for whatever reason, the lenders have been exempt from that. Um, so it's a little bit of the Wild West when it comes to marketing. Uh, and it's hard to figure out who is offering a discount that you can't lose and who is offering a discount that you can lose. Okay, very good. This is uh, Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my uh, guest in this hour is Raza Khan, who's the president and co-founder of My Rich Uncle, a very innovative company in the student loan business. And we'll be back right after this. The Bottom Line in Business Talk. Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Are you looking for a unique perspective on today's market from an experienced economist? Well, look no further. Listen to The Economic Contrarian with host Mike Norman every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Business America Radio. Mike and his guests will discuss new trends in the marketplace as well as emerging companies and opportunities. So if you want in-depth analysis from a contrarian point of view, don't miss The Economic Contrarian Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time right here on BusinessAmericaRadio.com. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Keeping you a step ahead of the changing world of business, this is Voice America Business. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, my guest this hour is Raza Khan, uh, who is the president and the co-founder of My Rich Uncle. Welcome back to the show, uh, Raza. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, let's get into some of the specific uh, do's and don'ts that you would recommend uh, parents look into and, and students when taking out um, spe- some specific loans. Uh, say they've gotten into a college, they've gone through the, the FAFSA form, the Free Aid for Financial uh, Aid application form. Uh, they get a financial aid award letter from the school, um, and they say, congratulations, here's the loan you're supposed to have signed, basically is what they do. But what what kind of questions should people ask if that's what they're they're faced with, which is the most common situation? There are a number of ways that financial aid options are presented to parents and students. Um, and the first and foremost thing that parents and students should consider is the financial aid office is actually presenting marketing material on behalf of lenders. Um, and so effectively the documents that they may be receiving, whether it's brochures, uh, it's part of a marketing program or a relationship that the university has with a particular lender. And that may be driven because it's operationally easier uh, for the university to work with that lender. Uh, and as the uh, media coverage has shown, there may be more going on. Uh, the university may be receiving direct revenue from the lender for each funded loan or offering the university the ability to fund other students uh, using the money that these students are ultimately, the, the, the original bars are ultimately going to pay. Uh, when getting that financial aid award, the first and foremost thing to understand is the parent and the student have choice. Uh, this is not the loan that you have to take. The federal government is very clear about saying that the financial aid office cannot discriminate on a student's selection of a particular lender. But they'll often just give you one choice. Is that what will happen typically? They will often give you one choice, but the key is that it's not their choice ultimately to make. It's a lot like walking into a department store where the department store may offer you a credit card, but you're obviously free to pay with your own credit card. Mm -hmm. Um, And so parents can go to any other lender if they think that there's a better deal uh, and choose that as their option. uh, And ultimately, the school will have to agree that that will be the loan. Um, is, is this so often tied into a financial aid package that a school may get? You know, you have some work study, there may be some grants, it's kind of a combination of different things. The loan is part of that whole package, so it looks like it's a kind of a take-or-to-leave-it offer to the student or parent. Is that kind of the way it comes across? It comes across. There's a psychology here. Um, we all think of universities uh, as uh, providers of education to us, They're interested in our betterment. They're interested in empowering us to go out there and lead the world. Um, When we get into school, we're very, very happy that we've been allowed in. Uh, It's the only scenario where you pay to be graded. Uh, When you go to a department store, you don't get graded for how well you shopped on something. Um, And so we're used to uh, really giving some level of control over to the university. Um, We buy odd-fitting bedsheets, as an example. Um, or we enroll in classes that we're required to. Um, That psychology uh, can be easily carried over to the loan process where we believe or are led to believe by the material that's presented to us that we have to choose this option. 
That's really not the case at all. It's your loan. It's your choice. You can get that loan from anywhere, get the lowest cost loan you can, and use that money to pay the school. Yeah. Okay, so so you do have a choice. Uh, and, and then, uh, I mean, the, in general, though, the financial aid office is not going to tell you there are other lenders involved, right? I mean, this is something you have to take the initiative on your own. As you say, you just feel lucky to have the privilege of being able to make this, take out this loan anyway. So most people just take whatever they're offered is, is what happens, right? Absolutely. When I think of the cost of education and borrowing, I think of parents putting their hands on their foreheads wondering how they're going to pay for this. Um, and when these options are presented, um, it's the first real relief that they've had in what is a very difficult process. But it's really not that hard to get a better deal or find another option uh, that can result in less payment uh, overall. But yes, the the uh, the uh, the way I describe it is: last year, Meyer Jungle had put a checklist of questions out that parents and students can ask financial aid administrators about how lenders were selected or why particular lenders were being recommended. Um, questions such as: ask your financial aid administrator, can they guarantee the best interest rate? Um, or do they, do they receive any payments for particular recommendations? Now, uh, of course, no financial aid administrators answer those questions, at least not without a subpoena. Um, <laughs> but uh, at least now uh, they're aware that uh, there is active steering going on, um, and it's not necessarily in the best interest of the parent or the student. Now, my understanding was that the uproar that was caused by, I guess it was over 100 financial institutions that were uh, caught with various kinds of overt conflicts of interest, that... Didn't Congress pass some kind of a quick law, like 100 to nothing, saying they have to outlaw this? What, what is the status of that legislation? How might that change things? There are several proposed bills, both at the federal and the state level. Uh, and it's important to understand that there are two types of loans here. One are the federal loans that are guaranteed by the government, um, in which the lenders uh, lend the money to the students, and they're guaranteed in the event that the students don't pay them back. Um, and then there are the private loans, that are usually used after one has exhausted federal loans. Um, and those are designed to close the difference between how much a student has and how much they still need to cover the full cost. And private loans are really governed primarily at the state level. So there's legislative activity both at the federal and the state level. Um, the, the bills that you referred to, uh, there are a few floating around. The most well-known is the Student Loan Sunshine Act, uh, which recently uh, Chairman George Miller and, and Rahm Emanuel commented that this is the right step, but clearly there's more to do in the area. Um, the goal of the bill is to better regulate how these lists are designed, uh, to increase competi competition among lenders, um, and really bring a fairer lending process. Um, there are, of course, some challenges. Uh, one of the challenges is uh, the current proposed bill relies upon the Department of Education to enforce uh, the law and also take action when lenders or schools behave inappropriately. And the Department of Education uh, doesn't have the best track record. It's sort of the last car in the Indy 500, so to speak. <laughs> um, uh, and it's, it, it, it's come out and said that it's putting effort toward there, but it will take greater work. And this bill maybe will evolve into including some form of private action that students can take ultimately to protect themselves and their rights. But would this bill ban uh, conflicts of interest and that uh, the financial aid offices could not 
own stock in the lending companies and, and change the whole way these preferred lender lists are put together? Uh, it clearly will begin to do that. Um, it will uh, uh, go out there and clarify um, uh, a number of practices and ensure that those don't occur. But it's important to understand that all of these practices are already illegal. Um, the uh, law is very clear in saying that no points, premiums, or payments, um, or any additional interest can be paid uh, in exchange for uh, securing placement on a preferred lender list or making loans at a particular school. The issue isn't really that the policy is missing. The issue really is that the uh, regulation and enforcement has been missing. Um, so you're saying the top financial aid officers at Columbia, Princeton, Penn, Johns Hopkins, all these places, knew that they were doing something blatantly illegal and, and did it for years anyway? Uh, absolutely. Um, it, it's unfortunate. Uh, uh, Attorney General Cuomo, uh, in his hearing with uh, Chairman George Miller, uh, acknowledged that there's really a culture that's taken place um, that's evolved over several years. Um, when we go back to the history of student lending, way, way back, um, the government, when it was trying to create a student loan program, didn't have any easy way of getting money into the hands of students. And so it relied upon the banks, ultimately, to provide these loans. Um, and the government set up guarantee agencies that would guarantee the banks in the event that students didn't default. And the financial aid administrators were there to make sure that when a student walked up to a bank and said, I need money for college, that someone at the bank could pick up the phone and call the school and say, hey, is Bob enrolled? And the financial aid office would say yes, and here's the amount that the person is eligible for. So it's ironic that the financial aid office that was ultimately created to prevent fraud now is actually part of creating and engaged in fraud. Um, but gradually, relationships between banks and financial aid offices built primarily make the process easier. Uh, how do we get these uh, phone calls or certifications done? That eventually evolved into building technology systems for the schools um, or sending staff from lenders to help certify loans. Uh, that eventually evolved then into paying the schools, which then eventually evolved into paying the financial aid administrators. Um, and it's been a, a pattern of competition among lenders, not for students, but really raising the bar on the types of inducements that are being made available to the administrators um, or the university overall. And it's a culture that now has become exposed and through both regulation and enforcement uh, will eventually be eliminated. So do you think with all the publicity recently and the firings of some of these top financial aid uh, officers like at Columbia and other places that uh, this has been wiped out or there's still a lot of kickbacks and, and uh, various payments for being on the preferred lender list still going on? There are still a number of practices. Uh, one, for example, that isn't the easiest to understand, is called school as lender. Um, and there are actually universities out there uh, lobbying to expand this program. And it's an unusual program where a university uh, effectively acts as a lender and then lends a federal loan to a student and then sells that loan to uh, another lender. In that process, it's able to earn some fee. Um, it might be a few percentage points, but ultimately, at a large enough school, it can result in millions of dollars. Um, not all of that money goes back to the original borrowers of the loan. In some cases, the money's been used to fund facilities and infrastructures. 
or other students.、Um, and it's common to hear that well, it's okay to use this money to fund other students.、Uh, I'm of the opinion that it's clearly not. It's certainly not explicitly done that way. When the people who are paying it don't realize they're subsidizing、uh, other students. Okay, we have to go to a break.、Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is、uh, Raza Khan, who's the president and co-founder of My Rich Uncle,、uh, an innovative company in the student loan、uh, market.、Uh, and we'll be back after this. Fresh, dynamic, and totally prepared for continuing business education. Business Talk Radio, Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in Both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Do you think work-life balance is some type of circus trick? Have you spent time trying to apply the concepts of feng shui to your virtual office? Are you so busy that your to-do list has a table of contents, and you're wondering if technology could help lighten your load? Then you don't want to miss a single broadcast of the Anywhere Office. This live, entertaining, and informative weekly talk show, hosted by brothers Phil and Jason Montero, take a big-picture approach to the philosophies and strategies of navigating today's digital lifestyle. The Anywhere Office covers topics such as work. Life balance, home offices, virtual teams, virtual offices, mobile work technology, and all aspects of the changing world of work. While targeted at mobile professionals, remote workers, small business owners, entrepreneurs, and solo professionals, Phil and Jason's knowledge, humor, and insight make the Anywhere Office of interest to anyone dealing with living a digital lifestyle. The Anywhere Office with Phil and Jason Montero broadcast each Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. The Anywhere Office helping you find a more flexible. Way to work. Growing a business successfully not only requires increased sales but profitable sales. Over 80% of small businesses will fail to do this in the first five years. On Acorns to Oaks, growing your small business with Tom Long, he will share his years of business experience to maximize profitability and ensure longevity and sustainability. Broadcasting every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, Acorns to Oaks, growing your small business provides insight into key areas of business: coordination of management, finance, operations, time management, people, and marketing, as well as sales. Tune in and learn how to grow your business into that mighty oak every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. Listen wherever you are. 24-hour business and financial news, solid, focused, and informed. The leader in business talk. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. That's eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this、uh, hour is Raza Khan,、uh, who is the president and co-founder of My Rich Uncle. Welcome back to the show,、uh, Raza. Thank you, Jordan. 
Let's talk a little bit about some of the solutions that uh, My Rich Uncle uh, has for people who want uh, student loans. Let's go through them kind of one at a time and, and what you offer and how it's different from what some of the other people out there are, are offering. Uh, there's, first of all, the Stafford loan, and maybe just briefly describe what that is and, and uh, what you offer compared to the rest of the marketplace. Uh, absolutely. And, and before we just get into the Stafford loan, I do want to mention one thing, that we do offer parents and students uh, conflict-free student loans. Uh, they can be uh, confident that we haven't gone out there and paid uh, anyone uh, for, for their business. Um, with respect to the Stafford loan, um, we offer a 1% interest rate reduction. Uh, this goes into effect uh, when the student enters repayment. Uh, it can never be lost, uh, uh, and it can only be lost if the student defaults on the loan. And default means that they've gone six months without paying back uh, a single payment. We, on the Stafford loan, we also offer some other uh, uh, benefits that are comparable to what competitors are offering, um, such as a quarter percentage point reduction if someone chooses to make payments via auto debit. So if you choose uh, electronic debit in your bank account, then you'll get another quarter percent, qu quarter percent off. And we'll also reduce 2% of your principal balance after you make a certain number of on-time payments, in this case, 48 on-time payments. What is the maximum amount of Stafford loan that you would make? The maximum amounts are, are regulated by the federal government. Um, for a freshman, uh, you can borrow 3,500 uh, undergraduate. For a sophomore undergraduate, 4,500 juniors and seniors, and fifth-year students, 5,500. Um, graduate students get to borrow much more, up to 20,500. And that's not based on income. That's, anybody can get those. Is that right? The government has particular rules on how much you qualify for. Um, back in January. Uh, of this year, parents and students may remember filling out their FAFSA form. Uh, it's the, the free application for federal student aid. That takes into account the family income and actually determines the maximum amount that a student can borrow on a Stafford or a parent can borrow on a PLUS loan. Um, and so the amounts really a, a parent or student can't choose. Uh, they can borrow or they can ask for as much as they need, but it will be sized appropriately. Okay, and the next one are the plus loans, and again, maybe a brief description of what that is and how what you offer is different uh, from the rest of the marketplace. There are two types of plus loans. Uh, one is called the parent plus loan, where parents of undergraduate students can borrow uh, on behalf of their children, um, and this loan is offered currently at a maximum rate of 8.5 percent. Um, we offer a 1.75 percent interest rate reduction. Uh, that also goes into effect at repayment and is never lost uh, uh, and can only be lost if the student, uh, if the parent in this case, defaults on the loan. Uh, there are also additional similar benefits such as a quarter percentage point off if you choose to have your payments made by auto debit um, and you can have the 3% three, 3 of your principal balance reduced after 48 on-time payments. And then there's the Grad Plus loan. Uh, is that the same thing for graduate students basically? Absolutely. The Graduate PLUS loan um, is a similar uh, product, uh, except the parents don't borrow. It's the graduate student uh, borrowing on his or her own. Uh, and you can use the Graduate PLUS loan to cover the difference between your Stafford loan, which is capped at 20500 and the full cost. Um, and if, if the full cost is accurately assessed by a school, a student can get away by not having to resort to private loans by combining the Stafford and Graduate PLUS loan. Um, we also offer a larger principal balance reduction 
um, uh, on the graduate plus loan of 4%. So that's really significant on the amount that graduate students are borrowing these days. Uh, it's on the uh, it's on the uh, principal balance reduction. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also offer a, a study abroad loan. Is that correct? Uh, we do offer a study abroad loan. Um, we also offer um, uh, internship loans. Uh, the study abroad loan is a uh, uh, is a new loan that we've been uh, working on, and the idea is that a number of students really cannot uh, afford to study abroad. Um, they tend not to be able to visit uh, any number of countries. Um, uh, because of their uh, lack of funds. And our idea is to fund them and give them a chance to see China um, and participate in any number of uh, learning programs uh, that are out there. It's a global economy, and I think it's a worthwhile opportunity for for students to get out there and see the world. And then tell me a little bit more about the internship loan and how that works. Uh, The internship loan is something that we are exploring. And uh, for those parents and students who... Are, are living in major cities such as New York or Los Angeles or Chicago, um, it, it may not be as challenging because it, uh, to get an internship because you can live at a home uh, and uh, take the internship of your choice without having to worry about rent and food and all of those other necessities. Um, but if you're coming from someplace else um, and you're looking for an internship, uh, it may not be so easy to, to find enough money to pay for simple things such as rent and food. I mean, the internship loan is designed to help students uh, finance their internships so they can really take advantage of any opportunities that they otherwise may not be able to. Okay, and then you offer something called the pre-prime loan. Uh, you described that briefly before, but why don't you go into a little bit more about how the pre-prime loan works. Pre-prime is our most innovative uh, product today, I would say. Um, it really is a fundamental shift in student lending. Um, Historically, there have been federal loans, which the government guarantees, so one can see them as effectively loans to the government. And there have been private student loans that needed you to have a credit history or a parent who could co-sign on the loan who has a credit history. Um, And so really it's it's conceptually a loan to the parent. Um, But nobody ever created a student loan. Um, A student really shocks uh, the entire credit system. Uh, they show up at the table looking for ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, but they don't have credit history. They've never paid an auto loan or uh, a home loan, and so there's no way for them to demonstrate that they can be responsible borrowers. What we did was created a very different underwriting model that really looked at the student. Um, who are you? Uh, what is it that you are interested in studying? What's your program of study? Um, how are you performing? What sorts of internships are you pursuing? Uh, the kind of information you might typically find on an admissions application. And what we're doing is using those uh, points uh, of information to better understand who you are and provide you with a loan. Now, a traditional bankers would probably say you're taking a huge amount of extra risk here. Um, and therefore your rate should be higher, not lower. How, are you, how is this working for you as a business? Uh, what kind of uh, default rate do you have on these loans so far? Well, I think uh, it, it's challenging for a lot of financial institutions to, to think about this because the student doesn't have credit. But we were all students, um, and we've all gone on to uh, do reasonably well and earn income, and one might imagine that that hasn't changed all that much. Um, and so what we're really betting on is, uh, Americans, 
We're betting on the fact that education will continue to uh, graduate students who will go on and earn income. So we don't foresee that there will be substantially greater or any real difference in, in default rates or anything of that nature. Um, uh, the rates are slightly higher um, because it's an untested product from uh, the overall world of consumer lending products. Um, it's new. Mortgages are 30 years old. Credit cards are 30 years old. Uh, auto loans are 30 years old, um, if not older. And what we're doing is something completely new. So it'll take some time to show the world that it's not as risky as it seems. So what kind of rates are being charged on pre-prime loans then? Um, one might find rates that are slightly higher than our typical pri typical prime loans. So they range in the amounts of prime plus three, prime plus flat, prime plus five percent. Um, is the typical average range. And can you have the parent cosign and get the, the rate down that way? Absolutely. If a parent uh, who has credit can cosign, uh, they can simply get a run-of-the-mill private loan from My Rich Uncle, which is very competitive in its pricing. Um, uh, it tends to hover around 7 or 8% on average. I see. So, uh -huh. uh, we should tell people how to uh, contact your company if they're interested in this uh, so maybe to give them your uh, uh, website and uh, phone number for more information on some of the things we've just been speaking about. Absolutely. Parents and students can find My Rich Uncle by either calling 888-MY-RICH-UNCLE uh, or visiting our website, which is www.myrichuncle.com. And what are some of the things they'll find at that website? They'll find information about products um, that we've spoken about today, uh, our federal loan products, our private loan products. Um, there will be messages encouraging them to shop for better rates, um, there's also information about our student loan reform campaign um, and how they can uh, better inform themselves to get the best deal. And we always tell parents and students, you should always go out there and shop for a loan, whether you choose My Rich Uncle or not. Um, whether we have a great deal today, um, if you think that you can go out there tomorrow and find a better deal, you should make that effort and you should take the best deal available to you. And so is that working? What what kind of uh, loan volume have you got at this point? I mean, people are just starting to hear about you, but you know, what, what, are people actually doing what you're talking about here? Uh, absolutely. We've grown quite a bit in, in the what's been less than two years of actual uh, offering our products. Um, our federal loan product is, is less than a year old, um, but our uh, portfolio is well over $150 million today, um, and we've seen a large number of customers who've been very happy and are coming back and borrowing more. And where do you get the money from to fund these loans? Uh, we're backed by some of the largest financial institutions in the world. Um, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, financial backing from subsidiaries uh, of Merrill Lynch, uh, of uh, Nomura. Um, uh, we also have uh, large investors. We're a publicly traded company. Um, our ticker symbol is UNCL. So anyone who wants to become a shareholder can go out there and, and learn more, just learn more about the company. Uh, by seeing our, our filings and, and looking at very transparent information. Okay, very good. All right, well, we're going to go to a break now. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman on the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Raza Khan, who's the president and co-founder of uh, My Rich Uncle. You can hear a very innovative company uh, in the whole student loan area. Uh, and we'll be back after this. More and more people are starting their day with informative, focused business talk. Top experts. Today's business issues. 
Voice America Business at voiceamerica.com. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Mr. Simplicity, Bill Jensen, is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He wants you to do less stupid stuff so you can do more of what matters. He'll coach you as a speaker, at your event, or one-on-one. He'll help you by consulting side-by-side with your teams, and he'll teach you through his books and downloads from his website. Visit today at www.simplerwork.com, and he welcomes your emails at bill at simplerwork.com. Smarter, not harder, is your work and your life, condensed and clarified. Mr. Simplicity is on a mission to make it easier for you to get stuff done. He'll give you the tools you need to do less stupid stuff and do more of what really matters. Let's succeed together. Tune into Small Business Trends Radio with Anita Campbell every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Each week, Anita and expert guests provide a big picture view of the small business market, identifying the trends and major events driving the robust growth of the small business market. Whether you are a small business owner or a company of any size desiring to sell small businesses or reach the small business market with the product or service, Small Business Trends Radio is your resource for trends that influence the global small business market. Right here on the Bottom line for business talk, Voice America Business. Business information you need from the stock market to starting and managing your business. Voice America Business at VoiceAmerica.com. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Raza Khan, the president and co-founder of My Rich Uncle. Welcome back to the show, Raza. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Um, when people face these decisions on making these uh, huge borrowing uh, decisions they've got to make, there are some various choices they have to make. One of them is the Federal Family Education Loan Program, or FFELP. How does that work compared to what some of the other alternatives are for that one? Well, with respect to the uh, FFELP, there's an alternative loan program known as the Federal Direct Loan Program. Um, and schools elect which program they're going to participate. So, for example, Massachusetts Institute of Technology is a Federal Direct Loan Program school. Um, uh, uh, New York University is in the alternate program, which is the Federal Family Education Loan Program. Um, in the former, students are borrowing directly from the federal government. Um, in the latter, students are borrowing from private lenders who have been allowed in the program. Um, and for the most part, there's been some competition for growing the federal direct loan program. And, of course, the, the FFELP program is competing to reduce the growth uh, of the FDLP program. Uh, unfortunately, currently for FDLP borrowers today, they can't go out and shop among other options. It's really the re- responsibility of the Department of Ed 
um, which has the right to lower rates on federal direct loans uh, to go out there and offer lower rates comparable to the rates that are made available under the FFELP program. Um, now, as I understand it, the, uh, every July 1st is when the student loan rates are reset. Uh, what is going to be happening uh, this coming July 1st, not only to uh, rates, but also to various kinds of fees like origination fees? Uh, there are some substantial changes uh, overall. Um, with respect to the Stafford loan, uh, the origination fee, which is currently 2%, is going to be dropping to 1.5% on July 1. Um, and, of course, the uh, amount students can borrow, which we've talked about earlier, uh, are going up than they were in the previous year. Um, for the most part, I think that's the most significant change that we're going to be seeing in the upcoming uh, period post-July 1. So that's the origination fees are going down. Apparently they're going down beyond that in the future as well? That's correct. It's expected to completely disappear uh, over a two- to three-year period where, uh, over time, this fee, which goes to the Department of Education, uh, will be reduced to 1% and then eventually to 0%. Um, and at that point, um, uh, uh, students will be happy to know that they have no fees on their Stafford loans. Do you have fees now, origination? This is, I guess this is uh, required by the government, is that right? Uh, we currently do offer an origination fee, or we currently do charge an origination fee that uh, is paid to the Department of Education, which is the current fee um, set by the department, which will drop to 1.5%. Um, now, there are lenders out there who offer 0% origination fees, um, and uh, there is some competition there in making sure that you get the best deal. Um, on an overall annual percentage rate basis, uh, comparing an interest rate discount to an origination fee, um, there's a material difference, and the true annual percentage rate is lower by, I would say, maybe 20.20% uh, or, or, or greater or less, depending on, uh, the overall amount when compared to the types of origination fee discounts that may be available. And then what is happening to interest rates? The interest rates are also adjusted once a year on July 1st as well. Is that correct? Correct. And currently there doesn't seem to be a clear indication that the interest rates will change from the 6.8% Stafford and the 8.5% plus. And what I mean by the 68 and the 8.5% is the maximum allowable rate to be charged. Um, it's important to understand that competition can cause that rate to go lower for consumers, and consumers can simply ask uh, a lender to charge less um, and uh, shop for whoever agrees to that proposal. Uh, in addition to Myra Junko, are there others? I mean, if you went to your local bank, for example, that might have uh, student loans, are they typically going to offer something less than the maximum on these kind of loans? Um, for the most part, we haven't seen uh, much price competition that says the, the overall universe of, of offers out there uh, is substantially more price competitive. Um, there are great benefits if you qualify for, for them using a number of on-time payments. But the problem is that, as we talked about, so many students don't qualify for this. Um, at one point, there was a letter written by the former CEO of Sally May, uh, wherein it was stated very clearly that more than 90% of students don't qualify for these discounts. So it's very important to understand that the, the general assumption is that most students will not qualify. So it's not really a material offer. Um, uh, 
the origination fee is, is definitely um, uh, one of those clear waivers. Uh, once it's gone, you don't have to uh, pay it. Um, the only downside is you may be paying more on the interest rate overall on the life of the loan, so the cost may be slightly higher. My understanding is that the Deficit Reduction Act, uh, which was signed in 2006, has gone into effect now, reduced uh, funding for student loans and education in various ways, and that's one of the reasons why interest rates uh, rose. That has been, uh, there has been legislation passed uh, to repeal that. Is that correct by the Democrats? Uh, that was one of the things that they were running on in their most recent campaign. Is that likely to happen and therefore bring interest rates back down again? Um, I think, uh, I, I can't comment if, if that's likely to happen. Um, uh, as a student advocate, I'm optimistic that uh, there is increased funds and that there is a reduction in the rates that, uh, uh, that students will pay. Um, there is an important point going back to really tying in what has happened in this industry. Over 10 or 15 years of what has been overall corruption, there is no price competition in student lending. So it seems to everyone that the only lever that will cause a lower rate of interest is legislation. Um, but that isn't the case. Um, as we clearly demonstrated by charging 1% less, um, it isn't up to, to Congress to effectively uh, try to lower the cost if competition can do that. Um, in the absence of that, uh, you know, for anybody who's borrowing, I'm optimistic that uh, any measure to reduce the cost of borrowing is a good one. Well, as we come to a close, Raza, just, just do a brief uh, summary here. Again, give people the, uh, your website and your phone number to contact you and kind of give an overall view of what's happening in industry now and how you see uh, people becoming more empowered when it comes to student loans. Um, there, there's a fundamental change, um, as, as anyone who visits our website uh, at www.myrachuncle.com or calls us at 888-MYRACHUNCLE, um, there, there's really a fundamental change that's taking place in the student loan industry. Um, and it will take some effort to, to really reform it to a level that finally restores the student as customer instead of the financial aid administrator as customer. Um, and what we hope to see is a model where uh, students really do learn more about their options. Um, greater options are made available to them. They're, they're made aware of what are real material interest rate discounts versus ones that they have to engage in a certain number of on-time payments ultimately to qualify for. Um, so those are some things that, that we'll start to see really helping students um, get lower-cost loans. Um, I foresee that a lot of uh, student lending will occur directly instead of through financial aid administrators over time. Um, uh, as this current bill shows, uh, hopefully if the Student Loan Sunshine Act uh, also has uh, uh, the ability for students to protect their rights through, to, through direct private action. But uh, if there's greater regulation of the marketing that lenders are putting out there, um, students will know how to borrow their lower-cost loans first. If that is a, a Stafford loan, they can maximize their Stafford loan. Um, or they can maximize any of their federal loans and then resort to private if they need to. So there are a lot of fundamental changes, I think, that are going to happen that are pro the consumer, um, but it, it's too early to tell. Well, thank you very much, Raza. This has been a very fascinating interview. Uh, a lot of people didn't realize they had these choices out there, and I uh, appreciate you very much. Again, this has been uh, Raza Khan, the president and co-founder of Myra Junkle, um, and your host, uh, Jordan Goodman, on The Money Answer Show, and we'll see you next time.
Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.